right. Well, this was a this was a good episode. And everybody, thanks for listening to a podcast from Beyond, where we have a gone beyond horror. Yes, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. All right. So, you got a couple of things you want to talk about? Well, I don't. Uh, is there anything that you've watched recently that you wanted to discuss? Because I, uh, I don't think I, I really haven't had time to watch a lot of stuff recently. Been doing too much work on the house and everything. Oh, that's right. You've had your hands full, I guess. Uh, yeah. Uh, there was this fuss about the uh, Sight and Sound poll. I don't know if you've been paying attention to that. Every 10 years, Sight and Sound magazine comes out. Uh, I guess they're part of the British Film Institute. They come out with a list of uh, top 100 films. Uh, they have a, a list that is... Uh, uh, done by critics, a poll of critics, and another list that's a, uh, a poll of filmmakers. Right. And uh, this year there was a bit of a shock because uh, Chantal Ackerman's film, Jean Deal, which has a much longer name, but it's all in French. So I, I, I'm not one of the uneducated people <laughs> yeah. that we were just talking about. But it's uh, three and a half. I've seen it a long time ago. I've actually watched it a couple of times. It's a three and a half hour movie, roughly three, it might be like three, roughly three hours right. of, a, of a woman, Jean Deal, uh, played by uh, the uh, actress um, who was in Daughters of Darkness, whose name will probably occur to me in a moment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's basically following this character. She goes through her daily routines, preparing meals, making meatloaf, going to the stores. Um, and dealing with various other um, things that she has as part of her daily routine. So this it came out as number one. It displaced Vertigo, and there was a lot of uproar about that. And um, the uh, turns out that Sight and Sound had actually employed some sort of uh, public relations firm to see if they could somehow change the rules of the poll or change the participants right. so that they could get films that had more of a feminist or progressive angle to them, films that weren't done by white men. And this, of course, upset a lot of white men. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, she actually ended up with two films uh, on, the, on the list. The other one is rather an unusual film as well. Uh, it's called, I think, Postcards from Home or something like that. And it's basically images of New York City around sometime in the 80s i guess uh with her reading letters that she got from her mother over these images so it's 90 minutes or two hours of that yeah. i found both of her films very hypnotic and very impressive the problem is that both of them are sort of reactions to the way movies were typically made especially jean uh, jean deal uh is it's uh, you 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 wouldn't do a movie like that if other movies hadn't been done, you know, in the previous decades a different way. Yeah. And so you know, in a sense, I don't think even she would have wanted to see that come out as number one because I think I think uh, she probably would have said this is going to bring the wrong type of attention to the movie, right? Because now you have a whole bunch of people saying, no, it's not the best movie ever made. And clearly it isn't. I mean, uh, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think she would ever have claimed that. Uh, 
uh, from a technical standpoint, certainly it's not particularly impressive. It's a, it's a well-made film, but it's it's nothing uh, that uh, Spielberg or Kubrick or Scorsese or any of those folks would have been knocked out by. Yeah, it really was. Well, just what do you like? What what's your feelings about like top ten lists? Like, if I've done a top ten list, and I'm going by uh, technically superior movies, plus I'm also going by just movies that I liked personally. It's going to be different than your top 10 list. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So whenever these, you know, AFI does their big top, you know what I'm saying? Is it just, I mean, or like when AFI does it, is it just a, we're just looking at the technical, the storytelling and all, you know what I'm saying? Or are they looking mm -hmm. at it as it affected me emotionally, but someone else didn't really care for it, but somehow it still ends up on, you know, it's number one or whatever. Well, it, you're right. I, I agree. Uh, those lists, uh, similar to the Oscars and all the awards that we hand out, it's all kind of nonsense, yeah. right? Because we know in the, in the course of time, uh, <clears throat> attitudes are going to change and movies that were uh, discounted uh, in their day uh, may emerge as being very important. Gene Dealman, and I mispronounced it, I call it Gene Deal, it's Gene Dealman, uh, that wasn't something that created a tremendous uh, excitement in its day. It wasn't as if it was up for a bunch of Oscars or anything like that. It was uh, an art house film. Right. Uh, but the reason why I thought it was interesting was I saw The Fablemans fairly recently. Hmm. And I didn't think it was particularly great. I didn't think it was uh, a, 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 a great Spielberg movie. It's a perfectly well-crafted film, and it's a very amusing, you know, pleasant two hours. Uh, but the thing that struck me is Spielberg is the epitome of the Hollywood movie maker, right? He's the most successful, perhaps with the exception of James Cameron and George Lucas, right. most successful uh, filmmaker of all time, if I'm, you know, at least in commercial in commercial sense. I would say, artistically, he had, you know, he's made some very impressive films as well. But part of the premise of this film, The Fablemans, which is a, a slightly fictionalized account of his childhood, how he became, you know, growing up with his family and the problems in the family, how he became interested in filmmaking. And he shows um, his family taking him as a little young boy to see The Greatest Show on Earth, which was a Cecil B. DeMille movie about the circus. And there's a scene in that that apparently particularly amazed him Right. And a circus train hits a car on, and, it, and derails and there's uh, train cars going all over the place. And, uh, and this just knocked young Spielberg out. It was an uh, important key moment in his childhood. And after that, he starts using his toy trains at home and the home movie camera to try to recreate that scene. That's what started him on this course of becoming a filmmaker. And I thought, well, there's the difference, right? Spielberg, uh, for all his flaws, is making something which is all about spectacle. Right. It's, it's about something on a very large scale that is going to be exciting and fascinating to a mass audience, men and women both. Whereas Chantal Ackerman was writing and directing films that were trying to make a specific point about the, the drudgery of a woman's life. And that may not even be particularly appealing to women. Yeah. <laughs> because that's the thing that Hitchcock always said about kitchen sink movies was 
You know, the woman spends all her day washing dishes and she goes to the movie and what does she see? Some woman standing by a sink washing dishes. She doesn't want to see that. She wants to right. see something exciting and romantic and, you know, something that will take her out of her drudgery. There's a certain truth to that. And that might explain why people like James Cameron, who's now creating these elaborate uh, spectacles in CGI, why he's probably a billionaire and why yeah. his movie, I guess, is getting close to making $2 billion when everybody was saying that probably wouldn't make its production cost back. Uh, while uh, Chantal Ackerman probably never made it, you know, he probably never made a million on, on yeah. her movies. And Steven Spielberg, by telling this story, which is less interesting to an audience, the guy who used to be the top grossing filmmaker is now making movies that will just barely make back their production cost. Right, yeah. Right, because nobody really is interested in how Spielberg came to <laughs> <Yeah>. Spielberg. <laughs> they want to see stories about Indiana Jones and, and, and you know, giant sharks and things like that. So uh, I don't know if this is necessarily a good thing. Maybe we should all be interested more in, uh, in more artistic films, more films that are more insightful about the human condition. Yeah. Films that make us uh, able to understand what other our fellow human beings are going through in life. But this is the big struggle right now is that the, the, uh, we seem to have the same sort of separation uh, in, in the arts where uh, it used to be art was for everybody. Right? Yeah. And now things that are considered real art are for a very small group of wealthy people. And it almost is like an investment for them, right? Right. They, they can't figure out what it means either, but they understand <laughs> that it's valuable, so they're going to buy it, you know, and trade it sort of like bubblegum cards or comic books, you know, right. rare comic books. Uh, and I don't know. I, it, it, it's like the, the other thing, the other story that uh, came out shortly after the Sight and Sound poll, uh, Paul Schrader said on, on his a Facebook page uh, or a Twitter account that he thought that um, rather than Gene Dealman, maybe this film Wavelength should have been number one. Uh, I don't know. I assume he was being slightly uh, ironic. <laughs> Wavelength, you may have actually seen or heard of it. He's going to bring up uh, the... Uh, it's a, the fellow who directed just died and he was an artist yeah the name sounds familiar but you can see it on uh, youtube the artist's name was michael snow and he was considered a very important artist and there were a lot of uh, news reports when he died about just what a significant artist he was even though the mass uh, of people probably never heard of him right yeah. wavelength is basically one shot of a room oh yeah and as the film goes on the camera zooms in zooms in on a painting yeah on a painting yeah. right and the, i think at some point the, the sound starts to change and mm -hmm. anyway it's a movie that most people would you know the average person wouldn't even consider it a movie that's yeah, probably I true of gene dealman too yeah. even though gene dealman is done in a much more traditional conventional way um, most people would say well i got the idea after five seconds <laughs> yeah uh, why would i sit through the whole thing <clears throat> And sort of similar to the things that Andy Warhol was doing in his day, uh, Empire State, which is, you know, there's so many hours of a shot of the Empire State Building and, and things like that. So there, there seems to be this sort of 
this sort of, uh, I hate to characterize it as an elitist thing, but that's, some, what I was gonna, that's the exact word I was going to say. <laughs> some folks who seem to want to establish their bona fides as an intellectual by saying, I saw this movie and I understood it and I enjoyed it. And I think it's a great movie, a movie that most people wouldn't even recognize as a movie. Yeah. It's not that they would say it's a bad movie. They say it's not a movie at all. It doesn't have any of the components <laughs> of a movie that they would re recognize. So this is an interesting time to be around because we're undergoing another change now where uh, there is this great difference between uh, the bulk of stuff that people are watching, bulk of visual entertainment that people are watching, which is on platforms like YouTube, stuff that's made by other people. Right. Uh, and that's developing its own language. And then you have these big Hollywood spectaculars, these superhero movies and science fiction movies, which are entirely generated in a computer or many computers. And then you have this fairly, fairly small indie uh, art film scene where more personal dramas, intimate human relationships and uh, you know stuff that the average person would turn up, you know, roll their eyes at. Uh, and those are the ones that end up on the top of these lists or end yeah. up getting all the big Oscar nominations. I mean, that's always funny when you see the Oscar nominations come out. And nowadays it's like like 10 films. I haven't seen any of them. I haven't seen, seen or even heard of yet. Oh, or even heard of it, <laughs> yeah. right. And for a lot of people living out, you know, in the flyover states, they may not even uh, have these movies playing in their state. You know, they may not be available to them. Because that may be one advantage to streaming is that these movies can pretty quickly end up on streaming so you are everybody does have access to them ultimately yeah. but i don't know if there's gonna that's gonna mean that they're necessarily going to be more popular i could be wrong you know i mean the funny thing is on on some level a movie like wavelength uh, because it isn't like gene gilman it doesn't have any feminist content a lot of the bro type folks might actually get into wavelength you know, yeah because it, it doesn't have anything philosophically or politically that they would object to or they would find threatening uh, gene I gilman guess, is. And plus if 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 movies like wavelength or the other the first movie you talked about gene if gilman? It's, yeah if it's not telling a narrative in like a linear you know saying or like just telling any kind of story at what point is it just art and not a movie you know what i'm saying <laughs> right well that that seems to be the the question that these filmmakers were asking these artists filmmakers were asking yeah. is what is a film or why does it have to be done a certain way why do why are we still making movies the same way we made movies in the 1940s yeah um, and you know it's a valid question uh, when we talk about the time machine or any of these other films that we've spoken about on the on this show there's always this question of uh, the role of women right i mean that's right. a constant thread and when you get into the 60s and 70s, filmmakers start to say, well, why are we still seeing women portrayed the same way as society is changing and women's role in society is changing and people are questioning how, thing, how society handles the war of the sexes as it used to be now. Why are we still seeing the same stuff on, on, in the movies? And in the movies, it was so entrenched that it wasn't even questioned most of the time. 
I mean, it was an unusual thing if you had a character who was happened to be a woman who had any ambition other than to be married and, and you know, a housewife and have children. Uh, so again, that's the reason why H.G. Wells was ahead of his time because he was actually writing stories about women later in his life that were bucking the system in a way. Yeah. But uh, uh, class, race, and sex seem to be the things that uh, mainstream movies are, they're not avoiding, but they're trying to give us certain rules. To try, they're trying to teach us how to behave uh, right, yeah. about these ideas, about these issues. Sometimes the messages that Hollywood product sends are actually pretty good messages for the masses. You know, as uh, the thrust of a lot of movies is that, uh, uh, you know, the idea of, like the 60s mantra, make love, not war, that's not a bad message to send, right? Right. Uh, unless you happen to live in a time when you have to make war, you know, and then right. you run, in, run into that problem that um, that character on that episode of Star Trek, City on the Edge of Forever, another time travel story. Right. Uh, where you have, uh, what's the name? Edith Keeler, character played by uh, Joan Collins. And, and to me, and that was an episode that was written by Harlan Ellison, who I yeah. expressed <laughs> my dislike of him as a person, but I have to admit he was smart enough to come up with probably one of the most important characters in the in the history of star trek <laughs> yeah. because that's a character that we see over and over again throughout history of people like that who are right they just are right at the wrong time <laughs> she came along with a message of peace at a time when everybody should have been ready to fight hitler right so yes everything she believed was true but she wasn't the right person for that time Right, yeah. And I think we see some of that now as well, right? All the folks that on the left that still seem to be talking about making peace with Russia and surely we have to negotiate, surely we have to. No, you, you got, you're in the wrong time, you know? Oh, yeah. This is not a time to negotiate. I mean, he's made it clear he does, he's not interested in negotiating. <laughs> Somebody who's shooting missiles at apartment buildings, killing men, women, and children indiscriminately. That's not somebody you can negotiate with. No. And if you were to negotiate with him and he was able to gain anything as a result of his actions, then it would simply mean you'd be doing the same thing five years, 10 years from now. Right? Yep. Uh, that's the problem that uh, we live in a world of where there are people who aren't as nice as we are. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and we may not be so nice either if we look yeah. back at our own history. So this is the other thing about... Uh, uh, about the current uh, trends is this desire to sort of expunge uh, the history, uh, you know, eliminate any reference to racism or slavery in, in our in, in education. Yeah. Uh, and now even... Trying to make ourselves look better. Right. Uh, no re reference to our treatment of uh, Native Americans. Uh, and uh, even now going to the extent of saying they're going to try to expunge the records so that Trump's impeachments won't be part yeah. of his record anymore, you know. Uh, that is sort of like a forced ignorance, you know, trying to deny what has happened, deny the facts. And, uh, you know, like I say, it's scary that we're going through this all again. But um, but anyway, as far as... And on, and on top of that, they want to take your gas stove. 
They want to take a guess. Yeah. Though, right? <laughs> well, it's funny because if the maybe this is a maybe we should learn something from this. Uh, when the government says that they're going to push these things through, everybody gets their backup. Yeah. Maybe we should just let these things we find other ways to make it impractical to own a gas stove. Uh, I mean, I don't, uh, for me, I, I use microwave all the time. I don't give a shit yeah. about, you know, the <laughs> gas stove. Uh, but uh, if you want to sort of move people on from these things, the best way to do it is to just make it harder and harder for them to, get to them. use yeah. those things. Uh, not, <clears throat> not just make a law and say, we're not going to allow that anymore. <laughs> What raise taxes on it or whatever you have to do to make it or try maybe, to help. maybe stop drilling for natural gas <laughs> or, yeah. or or make it uh, more difficult for um, for companies to produce natural gas using yeah. products that uh, don't meet certain very high standards right yeah uh, or develop new technology that will make gas like microwave ovens make gas unnecessary yeah microwave ovens are the result of our developing radar uh you know people think about uh microwaves they think it's like nuclear radiation don't stand yeah, too so, close to yeah. the microwave you <laughs> become a mutant you know you it's not that. No, it's the same radiation that's used in radar right uh so the, the government developed radar so for the war effort and uh, after the war, just like atomic energy, they were trying to find other uses for these things. And uh, uh, they used to have, what was the name for, uh, for microwaves before we start calling them microwaves? Because uh, there was another name that was a little closer to the truth. Anyway, uh, uh, what's my point? Can you help me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, trying I would to get rid of the gas stove. Well, uh, yes, get rid of the gas stove. I would recommend both Fableman's and Gene Dealman. Uh, Gene Dealman right. is probably available online. I, I suppose now, after it's been picked as the best film of all time, it's probably it available everywhere. Should yeah. be available somewhere, yes. Uh, the other issue that I see being discussed online is Edgar Wright directing this McDonald's commercial. And I see a lot of people saying, oh, he shouldn't be criticized just because he did a McDonald's commercial. I mean, David Lynch did a commercial for shampoo. Right. Uh, I like Edgar Wright. And I, I suppose I, I wouldn't begrudge him making a few bucks by making a commercial. But I wish he had picked something other than fast food because right, yeah. my feeling increasingly is that that's one of great threats to the health of uh, people in this country. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that it is unhealthy to eat McDonald's and Burger King and all that. Right. every day or even at all to be honest yeah. you know during the i had gone for a long time with a very strict diet that eliminated pretty much all processed food and, and all added sugar foods any sugar i was getting it was from uh fruit and vegetables right and over the holidays because uh people around me were getting gifts of candy from their bosses and things like that so i end up starting eating candy and it made me sick for a month <laughs> yeah. you know? Uh, we don't need that stuff. We don't need McDonald's hamburgers with sugary buns and sugary ketchup and whatever that other glop that they put on it. Uh, we, uh, you know, consumed with a, a giant bucket of sugar water. We don't need that in our systems, and it's no. not going to be good for people. You know, young people maybe don't realize that, and maybe even Edgar Wright is still young enough, or he it hasn't occurred to him yet that that stuff is no good for you. 
But I would say you're going to do commercials, do it for cigarettes. There you go. There <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nobody ever said that shampoo, I mean, I'm sure there's chemicals in shampoo that we don't need to be exposed to either. Right. But for the most part, shampoo is not going to bring about too many deaths, I don't think. No. It's a pretty uh, harmless thing. But uh, McDonald's hamburgers and other fast food stuff you actually put into your system. And so yeah, it I've is gone, going to. I've gone like months and months without, probably years without eating it. And then one day I'm just like, well, let me go get some McDonald's. And it's just like, uh, <laughs> luggish. Well, and it's so heavy. <laughs> yes, it does have that effect on you. I have to say they're delicious. Oh, yeah, they're, they're good. Which is why, which is which why, is why we want Yeah. <laughs> But they're designed to be delicious. That's yeah. the problem. They're designed to make us eat something that is unhealthy because it's so tasty. And yes. the same is true of oil. Like I, I, we may have talked about this before about how you buy a uh, jar of peanut butter that's just peanuts. It's just yeah. ground roasted peanuts. And it costs more than the national brands that have peanuts and all sorts of oils and honey and sugar and high fructose corn syrup and God yeah. knows what else. Just logically, how is it possible that something that has all those extra ingredients, each one of which must cost something, is cheaper than the... Much cheaper than the stuff that's just peanuts. And the answer, of course, is all that sugar means that more people are buying it and yeah. the more you sell of it, the lower the price can go. And when you lower the price, even more people buy it, right? Yep. Because instead of that person who probably already has a gut out to tomorrow, instead of them <laughs> just buying a little jar, they go into the supermarket and say, well, I like that. That was tasty. I'll buy the big yeah, jar. Yeah, get the five-gallon bucket of peanut butter. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe two. <laughs> yeah. We'll never be without it. And if you have it, you'll eat it. And so... You have just, to or to go bad. They have throwing it. away half of them. Yeah, well, the truth is with that we stuff, to, it probably will We got to eat five gallons of peanut butter in a month. Well, it's going <laughs> to go bad and we just throw it away. <laughs> that is the, the great uh, genius of that sort of um, buy in bulk uh, approach. Yeah. Is that they realize that if people buy something that's twice the size, they will go through it in the same period of time. Oh, yeah. So if they have it, they'll eat it. Unless they have one of the uh, food saver bags, which is like the big infomercial when I was growing up, the food saver. Uh, buy in bulk, it? buy in bulk, and you can, you know, freeze all your meat. Oh, yes, yes, I remember <laughs> that, yes. Yeah. I, th well, I just feel like they were in cahoots with the with the Costco's of the world. Well, hey, tell, tell everybody to buy in bulk, and they can use your machine to... You just freeze everything for the yeah, for, freeze for everything the, yeah. for the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. Well, anything that adds, to, I mean, one of the reasons why people don't buy in bulk usually is because it adds so much extra work. You have to find a place to store the stuff. Storage, yeah. And you uh, usually, if it's if you're buying in bulk, like things, especially things like meat or stuff like that, it has to be frozen, which means you mm -hmm. have to defrost it, and you know, uh, so people like stuff that's ready to eat, and the ready to eat stuff is probably the most damaging to our health yeah so but the i do buy some we do buy some stuff in bulk here like paper towels and stuff like that yes well that sort of makes sense yeah yeah you're not going to go through too much although you probably do find that you're use more of it if you have it on hand right uh, i don't think i do no well you're, you're more disciplined than i am yeah yeah <laughs> i i find that if you know if, if you're down to like the last few sheets on a roll of toilet paper you're going to use them very carefully yeah <laughs> Because it means when you run out, you have to go out and buy more, which you yeah. don't want to have to do. Uh, but uh, 
But anyway, they got us over a barrel, right? No, oh, yeah. There's no point in complaining. But Edgar Wright should try, probably try finding something. I'm sure you could find, even if it was doing something like cars or something. I mean, yeah. they probably paid the most money though. McDonald's, yes. And I guess it's only being, if I'm not mistaken, it's only being seen in, in the UK. Where they have healthier McDonald's. Maybe they do. I don't know. I, I think know they some, do. I think that because uh, their laws over there, I think, allow, don't allow for as much of the, uh, I guess, sodium and MSGs and all that stuff in their food. So commies. They have, they have like better menus over there. Yeah. It's not, they don't have the freedoms <laughs> that we have, the liberty yeah. that we have. Yeah. that's that's the master stroke right they frame uh, the consumption of garbage as a question of liberty right yeah we have the freedom what do you mean i can't buy a gallon of soda right or, or they, taking away I, that's my constitutional right to right. be able to drink a gallon they, of soda <laughs> they don't want the nanny state telling them that they can't kill themselves right? yeah even though the nanny state picks up the tab when you end up with you know, heart disease or diabetes or cancer. Yeah, I remember hearing that story. I think it was actually in New York that started it whenever they banned the soda, fountain sodas bigger than like 20 ounces or something. Yeah, seven, the Bloomberg. Because 7-Eleven had like the 32-ounce super big gulp or whatever. Right, right. And like New York had actually banned those and people were in an uproar about it. Yeah. Well, people seem to mistake... Uh, commerce for uh, expression free expression yeah i mean you, you, you know, there are laws there have always been laws on what you can sell <laughs> right i mean some people might say well that's a little extreme when you start regulating soda but maybe if we had been regulating it all along maybe we wouldn't have so many people who are obese and diabetes and with diabetes yeah so i mean that's not a pretty picture the way things are panning out because uh, the demographics are skewing in such a way, so we're going to have a lot of old, old sick people pretty soon. Yeah, and, and no one, and no one to pay for it. And right, we're not, <laughs> we're not, uh, we don't have a national health uh, system like they do in in England. So <clears throat> there's a uh, a lot of folks that are just not going to seek out uh, healthcare because it's too expensive. They're just going to die at home. I guess, yeah. With their super big gulp in their hand. Right. Or they'll wait, <laughs> they'll wait until they get so sick that they end up going in on an emergency basis, in which it costs, in which case it costs everybody much more. Yeah, that's so, what people don't. I think that's what people don't understand about free healthcare and why we need it <laughs> and why it's so important. Well, you're, you're going to pay for it anyway, so right. Yeah, why not pay for? Why not just put a little bit of money up front so everybody can have healthcare instead of waiting till. Now you got to pay for somebody's, you know, $15,000 surgery that they could have avoided. Right. And and the whole, of course, the American Medical Association, going back decades, they slowly adjusted the way things are done to make it as profitable as possible for everybody in the medical profession. Yeah. Right. I see it all the time on Facebook. You, huh? see people on Facebook you, see, you see people on Facebook all the time complaining about how, uh, you know, uh, free, free health free healthcare for everybody's not. We don't need that. I'm not paying for this and paying for that. And then a few days later, you see them posting, "Hey, give money to my friends to go fund me because they got right. they got pancreatic cancer." And I'm like, "Well, right. that's the free healthcare you were just complaining about two days ago." So that's right. Yes. <laughs> so we, I mean, in a, in a way, that sort of phenomenon is similar to the gig economy, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember when when Uber and things like that started to come along. I heard some people say, "Oh, this is great! Now they're taking." getting around all those regulations that are preventing, <laughs> yeah. you know, like in New York, where it cost a million dollars to own a cab medallion. 
Right. Uh, so we're getting around all that. Say, no, you're really just getting around all the rules and regulations that protected workers. Yeah. Because what, what, the, what the company really has in mind, Uber and Lyft, all these companies, is finding a way to get more uh, without having to pay people decently or properly. Yeah, and they since since these you know these Uber drivers don't work for Uber, they're independent contractors. Right. They don't have to pay health insurance. They don't have to pay you know, vacation time. Right. You know all that stuff. They don't have to give a shit about their employees at all. Yeah, and that's the, the that's uh, not a, a realization that they had late in the game. That's what was intended right from the start. Oh, yeah. So let's get people to work for us for very little and, and get around all the regulations that exist about how you how big companies should treat their employees. Yeah, because basically they're just a communication company, a way for a customer to communicate with the driver and say, hey, right. take me here. That you know, their hands off on everything else. But of course that falls apart as soon as somebody sues them when there's some sort of, you know, a uh, one of their drivers rapes somebody and, yeah, and, yeah. and the company is sued and they say, well, you should have known about that. And then they have to change their policies to make sure that there's all sorts of uh, 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 standards that their drivers have yeah. to come up to. And then pretty soon they're essentially employees. Employees, yeah. They're not just somebody who's taking a few hours out of their day to pick up a couple of, few, a couple of bucks. <laughs> yeah. you know. And the same is true of uh, things like Airbnb. You know, there's a reason why folks don't want their neighbor renting out the rooms in their home uh, and suddenly you have a hotel next door to you yeah and there's a reason for that and it has to do with the safety of the people of course and the inconvenience to the neighbors and all the shit that happens when people suddenly start inviting strangers to come and live in their home for a couple of days at a time right uh, all those regulations were in place to prevent all the things that we're now seeing happening so that's the downside of uh, the, uh, the internet revolution. Right? All these yeah. things are possible because we all have, the, the internet exists and we all have devices and we can be constantly in touch with everybody else in the world. So, but it's, it's not necessarily a positive thing. No. So anything else that we want to just tear apart? I don't think so. Like I said, I haven't been, haven't watched anything. I haven't had time. So hopefully, hopefully by the next episode, I'll have more yeah, things you, than I've watched. You'll be situated in your new studio. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I've got it all painted. So just got to start moving stuff in. Well, well, I look forward to seeing the new, new place. I'm sure it'll be more exciting than what you have behind oh, you. I'm now. sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'll still have a cat there. I'm sure though. Oh, is there a cat there? <laughs> back there somewhere. somewhere. Uh, yeah, right here. He's hiding. Oh, he's there in the darkness. Yes, yeah. like a Morlock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say if she would turn around, we get her eyes to glow like that. There you go. That would be perfect. Yes. <laughs> I can't. I, I shouldn't be talking. I've been using the same crappy uh, curtain for my backdrop for a while. So maybe in the coming coming months, I'll come up Change with something up a bit. more exciting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if I live long enough. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> All righty. Well, that's all I got on my chest. I, I I feel better now. All right. As long as you feel better, that's all that matters. I don't know what the hell I said, but yeah. <laughs> that's the, this is sort of like therapy for me. You know? There you go. Yeah. I wonder why everybody isn't making their own YouTube videos. And, and I realized that probably the reason is because some people are afraid of making a fool of themselves. Probably. I, I, apparently, I don't, I don't care, care about yeah, I don't care either. <laughs> 
so uh, so here we are i'm just gonna say whatever whatever i want to say i don't care there you go until i'm editing and i'm like well i probably shouldn't have said that let me take that out <laughs> <laughs> i noticed the cat moved away when you said yeah, that yeah, well, yeah. you're on your own pal yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah we'll definitely do this again sometime so uh like i said i've got i'll have more time more free time coming up soon be able all to right. do these more more often i guess okay great i look forward to it all right. Lifestyles. I don't think it's the mayor's uh, job to decide what sort of soft drinks uh, that people in Manhattan or anywhere in the world want to buy for that matter. The